Calgary is just so vibrant, it's so exciting. The amount of green space, parks, regular festivals, the diversity of backgrounds and cultures here, it's just such a great place to live and I have so much hope for the future of Calgary. I believe in Calgary. I believe in Calgary. I believe in Calgary. I believe in Calgary. This is the We Believe in Calgary podcast. We're here to give voice to the Zane Novak 2021 mayoral campaign by speaking to community leaders, local entrepreneurs, and civic visionaries about the issues and innovative ideas that affect Calgarians. Join us every second Wednesday leading up to the municipal election on October 18th. Thank you for joining us again today on the We Believe in Calgary podcast. I'm here with my co-host and guest for today, Simon. So he's here today to talk about a seemingly dull topic, agriculture but it's one that actually affects all human beings and it's very important to Alberta's future, especially with our current economic uncertainty of oil and gas. So thanks again for joining us, Simon. Um, you're, on the, you're on the hot seat this time, so it's a little different, but, um, and as you know, the first question we always like to start off with is, what is your Calgary story? Yeah, thanks, Cal. Um, looking forward to yeah, this conversation and it's uh, a nice change. That, from the usual uh, hosting uh, duties. So yeah, my Calgary story, it's not a long story, I guess. Um, I moved to Calgary just over four years ago. So summer of 2017, I moved from Prince George, BC, uh, a not very well-known city in Northern British Columbia. And yeah, you know, I moved here really just to get out of Prince George, I guess. And, you know, I, growing up and spending 30 years in Prince George, I was looking for something different and I wanted to um, continue my, my career and Calgary seemed like, you know, given the opportunity I had with the company I'm with now, obviously seemed like uh, the best place to do that. So I moved here and I think I had initially what was kind of a stereotypical view of Calgary and Alberta, not having spent a lot of time in Calgary. Um, and Alberta, I traveled a lot in BC, I traveled a lot uh, in the United States, internationally, and I just never had a lot of interest in Alberta, I guess, and in Calgary. And a lot of the people I talked to growing up, people seemed to think Calgary was just a cowboy town, oil and gas town, jacked up trucks, etc. And, you know, it didn't take long for me after moving here to realize how wrong I was and how wrong that stereotype is about Calgary. And I was just, honestly, I was very lucky because not having done that research, I really didn't know what to expect. And it was a bit of a gamble on my part for that reason. Um, And yeah, I feel very fortunate to have found Calgary and made a home here. It is just, it's such a beautiful city and the people here, the diversity, the green space on this podcast, you know, the mountains, uh, being close to Rocky Mountains comes up quite frequently. And yeah, it is just so far from, I think, what a lot of people, the box they put Calgary in. So yeah, I've been here for four years now, and I couldn't have asked for uh, a better change. So, and I'm, yeah, I feel I feel kind of settled in now, I guess, after after these few years and settled in with my career, settled in in Calgary with the people here. And yeah, I am I guess that's that's my Calgary story. I'm I'm still here, I'm still working. I have moved I've moved around a little bit in Calgary, lived in a few different locations and yeah, I am 
I'm just, uh, yeah, so happy to be here. So, well, listen, if it doesn't work out for you in agriculture, I think you could be a, a tourist or representative of Calgary because that's, uh, that's probably one of the better Calgary stories I've heard on this podcast, <laughs> just promoting Calgary. So I'm very happy to hear that and you, that you're planning on sticking around too. Um, so I guess one question I had was, before we really jump into it, is what's your connection with agriculture? Sure. So I studied biochemistry, molecular biology in university uh, back in Prince George. Um, my focus was on plant physiology. Um, I actually grew uh, medical cannabis for Health Canada, basically a subcontracting type position. Grew for a few patients in Prince George. So I have, I guess, an academic background in in plants and plant production and some practical experience working with plants, um, albeit in a very different context than how I work in the industry now. But yeah, I've always had a fascination with plants, with crops, and you know, I guess just a bit of a tangent, but I originally I had planned to go to medical school. Biochemistry is, is a pretty common prerequisite for, for med school. And a few years into my degree program, it just, I just wasn't ready for that uh, that career. It didn't feel right to me. Um, so I, I focused more on the plant side and my interest was already kind of there. So that's kind of where I ended up. And yeah, I work now for a commercial agricultural supplier, wholesaler. So I work supplying farm inputs, focusing on the horticultural side. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. But. Well, anyone who knows me knows that um, Simon kind of converted me over to the Agricultural industry, it's not its not a very sexy topic to talk about, especially in Calgary or in Alberta with oil and gas or basically any other industry. But, I mean, it's its such an important industry because we all mm-hmm. need food to survive. It's, it's something we've taken for granted. And so, you know, in my conversations with uh, Simon, it's just uh, there's I've got an impression there's so much more um, to to agriculture. And, you know, when people generally think about agriculture, they think, they think of just farms you know crops growing outdoors using tractors cows straw hats that kind of thing do you mind elaborating on that a little bit more sure yeah and you know i I guess before i got knee deep in the industry that was kind of my impression of it as well yeah it, it isn't the sexiest of industries but having spent four years now working in it it is such a a great industry it's it is to me it's it's so exciting um, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the importance of food security. Um, and, you know, I, I derive a lot of personally, I, I derive a lot of purpose from my career and I feel really good about being a part of that industry and helping not only farmers put food on the plate, but also, you know, help with the idea of local food production and, really helping to progress the industry and progress the technology involved in the industry. And and there is a lot of technology in the industry, I think, especially in the horticultural space, which is where I work. Um, it's, it's a little bit, I, I don't want to denigrate the, the traditional farmers, but I think it's a little bit more uh, technical uh, form of crop production. So yeah, there's, you know, there's so many different forms of crop and food production these days. And while grain and oil seed uh, in the field is still the most common, actually it's 34%, I believe, of the total crop area in Canada. Um, animal agriculture, dairy, uh, poultry and eggs, horticulture, viticulture, 
which is production of grapes for wine, uh, aquaculture, which is fish and other forms of uh, aquatic uh, uh, food. They're also very important for food security. So we we also utilize plant production for non-food purposes. So uh, landscaping, gardening, tree nurseries, uh, medicinal plants. Uh, these days, we also cultivate commercial cannabis for recreational purposes. So that's a, a, a new and, and growing industry. Uh, we grow plants in indoor spaces, vertical farms, rooftop, rooftop gardens, as well as many other modern applications. I'm sure I'm neglecting to mention it at the moment. Um, but yeah, there's just so much, there's so much to it. And that's been one thing that I've found very exciting about it. And something that my position has allowed me to really explore. So the company I work for is a BC based company. Most of our staff, most of our operations are in BC. Um, I've kind of been essentially running what is my own small business while working for a company of over 100 people um, just because I don't have a lot of you know local support and staff. Uh, we are growing in Alberta. TerraLink Horticulture is the company I work for. But really, I've been kind of doing my own thing out here, which has is challenging for a lot of reasons, but it's also very rewarding. Um, and yeah, you know, for that reason, I've been able to kind of dabble and and work with businesses of all different natures. So like, you know, some of the ones I mentioned previously, and that's been very interesting because obviously a tree nursery is, is very different than a garden center, which is very different than a golf course, which is very different than uh, a cannabis greenhouse. And, you know, there are obviously a lot of common themes and a lot of overlap there, but they're very different. And so I've got to learn a lot for that reason. In some sense, it's almost overwhelming. It has been a little bit overwhelming for me to have to be, to try and be an expert in all these different fields and, and uh, apply my knowledge to these various uh, types of businesses. Um, but um, my primary focus has been on vegetable production in the greenhouse. And that's kind of where I'm able to focus now more of my energy, especially as we're adding on new staff uh, here in Alberta that can kind of tackle some of these other auxiliary uh, industries. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at and uh, where the industry is and kind of some of the different options out there. So uh, speaking of focusing and, and Alberta, and I, I've only recently found out that Alberta has about two thirds the um, agricultural I guess, land or production that Saskatchewan does, mm -hmm. which is huge, um, you know, considering that's mostly what Saskatchewan has. I mean, we have so many different things in Alberta. And like I mentioned before, oil and gas has always been the main focus. But with two thirds and, you know, with the uncertainty of oil and gas, you know, agricultural, the agricultural um, industry is looking a lot more appealing at this point. So what, what's the state of crop production and agriculture in specifically Alberta and Calgary in the area? Great question. Um, yeah, you know, and while we're only maybe two-thirds of what Saskatchewan is, uh, Alberta has the second most production in Canada. And so I think, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan is kind of known as the breadbasket of Canada. Mm -hmm. So between the two provinces, um, and anyone who's ever traveled to Saskatchewan um, knows that it's just a lot of farms. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, so there's, there's, and, and yeah, Alberta has uh, a lot of animal ag as well. It's a big part of the industry in Alberta. Um, but in general, you know, farming has always been integral to 
the Canadian economy and to Canadians generally. Uh, obviously, having a huge landmass, having significant arable land, we've been able to use um, a lot of this land to feed ourselves as well as to export these commodities to help feed the world. So um, Canada is, and I'll talk a bit more about Alberta specifically, but Canada, just to give some context, uh, is the world's largest producer of rapeseed, which is a category of crops that includes canola and other plants for production of vegetable oils. We are the world's largest producer of dry peas, lentils. Um, we are the second largest producer of oats. Um, we're also leaders in soy, maize, potatoes, flax, etc. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. And Alberta, like Saskatchewan, has a primary focus on cereal crops, they're called. So that's wheat, barley, rye, oats. Living in the prairies, I think anyone who's spent some time here would see a lot of the livestock, beef production, hog and poultry farming is a huge economic force for Alberta. And it brings in billions of dollars um, to the economy with, with our exports. So while, yeah, while there's not a lot of fish farming, that sort of thing, obviously there's no, there's no, not, not a lot of uh, water out here to do that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's kind of Alberta's focus, but it's really diversifying. And um, what I think we'll probably talk about at some point in this conversation is um, my, my focus, which is horticulture. And that is really just booming in Alberta right now. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, it, traditionally we've been, I guess, kind of a, a third the third largest greenhouse producer in Canada. So Southern Southern Ontario is the largest, Leamington area, um, Lower Mainland and Vancouver area is, is, is second place, and then Alberta has always kind of been a distant third. But in recent years, and actually very recently, the last year or two, there's really been a big boom in, in the Alberta horticultural industry. So before we jump into horticulture, because I do want to ask you about that, I was just going to ask you what... Do you know what the the numbers are as as a ratio, perhaps, as far as how much um, livestock farming is compared to crop and horticulture? Like, do you, is there some sort of ratios? Maybe, for example, like one yes. third livestock, one third. Yeah. So as I mentioned, um, grains and oil seeds are the biggest uh, food crop in Canada in terms of uh, agricultural commodities. So that's thirty four percent. A close second would be red meat, uh, livestock. That's 24%. Mm. Um, dairy production. Um, and we're talking about Canada as a whole right now. Um, okay. So I don't know the specifics for, for Alberta. Um, I'm sure these numbers would be skewed a little bit um, right. towards, like I said, the cereal, cereal crops uh, in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Dairy, 12%. Horticulture, 9%. Poultry and eggs, 8%. So, yeah, horticulture is... A relatively small piece of that um, but as I mentioned it's it's growing and I think a large part of that is you know maybe COVID has contributed to this a little bit but people I think are now thinking more about local and sustainable food uh, production so I don't know if a lot of people know this but traditionally a lot of our food crops, you know, when you go to a grocery store and you buy, you know, a, a six pack of bell peppers, historically, most of that has been imported from Mexico mm. and, 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 and elsewhere. So, you know, California, obviously, they have a much more suitable climate 
for crop production than Canada. Um, they can grow year-round. They have generally a warmer climate. So that allows for more production, cheaper production. Um, another component is labor. So in Mexico, <clears throat> and if you're, you know, uh, if you're a, a, a large agri company and you're looking to find a, you know, a, a cheap place to grow food, Mexico makes sense. Labor is cheap. Right. Um, energy might be cheaper. Um, and then it's just a matter, yeah, they're, they're going to pay more to truck that food up to Canada. But at the end of the day, uh, Canadian farmers are competing with uh, imports from, from, from Mexico and the United States. So that's something that has been changing. And, you, t- and- you talked about technology. Is that kind of something that's helping us compete? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So we, we, we need the technology to be able to grow through the winter. Um, right. And yeah, we can talk about that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, I, I just find it exciting and very interesting that people, and I don't know how much, how, to what extent this is true, but I think, uh, more and more people are maybe willing to pay a little bit more for that bell pepper knowing that it was grown in Alberta versus grown in Mexico. So you think some of this might have been spurred by the um, sort of the, the organic, you know, I wouldn't say movement, but just, you know, the preference for people to get organic food? I think so. Organic is, well, so, so organic's not huge in, in Alberta because, uh, you know, getting organic certification is, is a challenge. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. It, 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 it's kind of part and parcel with, this idea of sustainable and local, right? It's a trend that's, I think, I think it's been going on pre-COVID. I think COVID's maybe accelerated that a little bit. Um, But yeah, to your question about the technology, yeah, you know, so that's something that allows for us to grow in what is objectively a pretty harsh climate. Right. So through the winter and to, to be able to be efficient in our production nowadays, we're seeing more, I guess, robots in 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 some of these high tech greenhouses. You know, it's been it's been interesting for me and and very fascinating because um, in some of these uh, operations, I have to si- sign an NDA because mm. there there's trade secrets, um, there's technology in there, and and just to kind of speak generally, there are some very high-tech greenhouses in Alberta, either for lettuce or for cannabis, which seemingly allow for more automation than other crops. You can walk into, say, a 20-acre facility. So I don't know how, how big that is in square feet, but it's a very large, for, very large for a greenhouse. And it is just, you know, crops as far as the eye can see, and there's no people. Hmm. They, these are all, you know, um, automated. automated systems, robots, and LED lighting and controlled environment. And it's very, very interesting. I'll I'll show you some pictures. Unfortunately, listeners won't be able to see this, but just it's very, very interesting, um, you know, how far that's come. And, and, you know, I think some people might be opposed to that a little bit because they want want to see people employed and working um, on these farms. Like, I think there's a lot of similar to like self-checkouts at a grocery store. Some people just will never use a self-checkout because right. it's, 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 you know, you're, you're taking away jobs, et cetera, et cetera. In my mind, I, I think automation is, as long as it's not just making these rich companies richer and preventing maybe other people from, from gaining wealth, I think it helps uh, being able to produce these commodities efficiently and at a low cost allow, you know, that, that, 
that trickles down to the consumer. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it makes, it makes for when you go to the grocery store, you can buy a head of lettuce for cheaper. Um, or if you go to a dispensary, I guess, you can buy uh, cannabis flour for cheaper. Right. So, yeah. So I know you signed an NDA, but... In my head, I'm kind of picturing drones flying around. Do they have any of those at greenhouses? Not in greenhouses. Actually, that's... So I don't work in the ag side, in the field crop uh, side of things. But yes, absolutely, there are drone technologies now that are that are kind of working in conjunction with farmers. And you got to think like, you know, obviously there's a lot of benefit to getting a bird's eye view of these massive 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 acre, uh, broad acre farms. And... And, and now, and again, I don't know a lot about the specific technology, but it's very interesting to see how they're able to apply, say, like certain um, cameras or sensors to detect for disease, to detect for, wow. um, yeah, like nutrient deficiencies and um, really just relay that information to the farmers and, and, to, and to other equipment. Wow. So now you're talking uh, about automated drones, automated tractors that are communicating with each other to um, coordinate, you know, a lot of these uh, farm uh, tasks. So, yeah, and in the greenhouse, uh, maybe an analogous technology would be um, like automated pickers. So when you grow, say, a cucumber plant, um, you grow them in these rows, these long rows, and... um, and this is not something I've seen personally. The technology, I think, is still developing. But um, these robots will go down the aisles, and they will detect for disease. They will um, they will scan the plants for disease. They will pick the actual fruit. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely the future of of crop production. It sounds and feels like I just stepped out of a time machine. If I'm being honest, I didn't know this was all going on, and to this degree, I mean, I've seen. Um, things like vertical farms, which I always find really mm-hmm. fascinating how we can employ them, and especially in large urban centers. But this is this is something else, just mm-hmm. talking about, like I mentioned, you know, farmland and the way we see things, you know, tractors and and farmers and whatnot. So very fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the leaders, I guess, we don't, we don't see a lot of this technology necessarily yet in Canada, but a lot of the more high-tech um, production techniques come out of Holland. So Holland, oh, ha- really? yeah, they, they've always been a leader, at least on the greenhouse side with, with these technologies. So yeah, I think, I think a lot of these, um, innovations come out of, come out of Holland as well. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so you mentioned early Terralink horticulture. Is that just a division or is Terralink, um, cause I, I would assume they would have their hands in, you know, re- regular crops as well, like outdoor crops or yeah, we do to some extent. So um, Terralink Horticulture is the name of the company. Um, our focus is horticulture. But okay. as I mentioned earlier, we we are really um, multifaceted and, you know, we work with broad acre crops um, as well as all these other kind of uh, subsets in the so, industry. So to jump in a little bit about horticulture, can you Explain to me and, and some of our listeners what, what exactly is horticulture, what's what's the focus of horticulture, and, and what kind of crops um, does it consist of? Sure. So I guess the technical definition of horticulture is the practice of gardening, garden cultivation, and management. The horticulture industry is kind of known a little bit differently. It's known for, I guess, technical greenhouse crop production. So that includes uh, fruit and vegetable crops, tree nurseries, ornamentals, like bedding plants, 
um, now commercial cannabis. We, we also do supply like specialty ag products. We have an organic subsidiary. So yeah, a lot of different applications of horticulture. My focus is, like I said, kind of more on the, the vegetable, fruit and vegetable side, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, lettuce, eggplants, that sort of thing. They just are some of the best suited crops for growing in the greenhouse. Um, so many broadacre farmers will also start their plants in a greenhouse. Sorry, sorry, broadacre? Broadacre is just the you know, all these large farms you'll see around, around Calgary and Alberta. Okay. So, so it's just a, a general term for any kind of farm. Yes, exactly. Okay. Any, any kind of, uh, yeah. Uh, outdoor, outdoor field farm. type, okay. type, uh, production. Yeah. Okay. So they'll start their, their, their propagate their, their plants in the greenhouse and then they'll transplant into the field. It kind of allows them to get, uh, I guess a bit of a head start so, yeah. prior to the good weather and gives these plants, a you know, a bit of protection and I guess a healthier start, which is mm. very, very important. So, yeah, greenhouse crops consist of less than, as I mentioned, 10% of total agriculture in Canada. So it's a small industry, um, but it is growing. And um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Southern Ontario has the largest concentration of greenhouses. So I said a Leamington earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I got to check that area out um, a couple of years back. And it really it is massive. It is so much bigger than what I'm used to seeing in Alberta. And I think the reason for that is the proximity to the U.S. border. So right. they can they can get this food quickly on a truck uh, and over the land border, um, and that's a, a big uh, driving factor for the industry. It just, just allows for this. Sorry, this is Ontario or Ontario, yeah, Southern okay. Ontario, and essentially it is the most southern part of of Canada. It actually, kind of dips down a little right. bit below the border, the natural border of Canada, and. Yeah, the the weather is kind of. Is this is this around Niagara? Because I know they have yes. a bunch of wineries. They're known for the exactly. wine around Niagara as well. Niagara, exactly. That's that area. Um, lots of other outdoor uh, crops as well in the Great Lakes area. Um, yeah. It, so, it, yeah. being in southern Alberta, do we have any kind of similar geologic or geographical kind of trade? I mean, we're so close to the United States down here. We're, what, like three, four hours at most? So I feel like... Yes. Unfortunately, and again, so the reason why BC, again, has such a large industry, again, they have the weather, but also mm-hmm. they they are close to Washington, large population in Washington, whereas in Alberta, um, you have Medicine Hat Redcliffe, which is kind of the greenhouse capital of Alberta. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you drive south from there, you're going into Montana... Um, and, and a lot of companies are are doing this, um, but there, obviously there's just not a lot of big population centers in in I guess the that that area of, of north northwestern U.S. Montana. So so compared to B.C. and even Ontario, uh, I'm just wondering because I mean B.C. obviously has a, a better climate for maybe traditional crops or sorry like a broad broad view broad view cor- Broadacre, Broadacre, sorry, Broad, yep. Broadview. That's a, that's a housing uh, company here. Broadacre um, farms, and I'm wondering the one advantage do we have here is, is maybe sunshine, sunshine, compared to yes. even Ontario. Yes, and that's a good point. Um, yeah, so so Lower Mainland, while it's obviously a little bit more uh, moderate climate, mm-hmm. um, it's very cloudy, and um, so for that reason. Southern Alberta, uh, as I mentioned, Redcliffe, it, it's kind of, uh, it, it's ideal, fairly ideal for that reason, because I think there's something like 330 days of sunshine a year in mm. Medicine Hat. It is extremely wow. sunny. So 
if you've traveled to that area of the province, it's very different than the Calgary area or the Edmonton area. It's right. it's, it's kind of semi-desert, kind of arid, dry, it, very dry, um, hot, very very hot summers. So that's why there's a, a quite a concentration down there. Also, um, low energy costs. Right. So kind of how this industry was initially created was for over a hundred years, uh, the city of medicine hat has owned and operated its own power utility. Um, and, and just natural gas was very, very affordable. So mm-hmm. that combined with all that natural sunlight just made for an ideal, uh, place to, to build a greenhouse. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Get, you know, that being said, there's a lot of challenges to growing in that area. They still get very cold in the winters. So that's, that's, you have so to, you have to still. Insulation is probably huge. Yeah. And, and exactly. So there's, there's technologies that are used in the greenhouse to uh, optimize for that energy, energy screens and yeah, just, uh, yeah, different, <clears throat> different ways that they can grow. Um, a lot of growers that don't use lights will plant their crop in January, February. Um, they grow all the way up until November and then they pull their crop out. And they have two months of downtime during those, you know, two very cold months of of the year where energy costs are going to be much higher. Also, light levels are much lower. So it just makes sense to not be producing crops. uh, You were saying that because of the oil and gas, they're they're able to to provide energy. But I mean, with all the sunlight too, do you think solar is, or not think, is solar something they utilize? Not yet. Um, And it's interesting that you asked that question because I had a fellow call me... Uh, last week and he's up in the Edmonton area and traditionally there's not a lot of greenhouse industry in Edmonton and and farther north for the reasons we just we just talked about Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of kind of small uh, retail home and garden you know type type mom and pop type operations they grow they grow in the spring summer and they shut down for six months of the year Mm -hmm. Um, but very little vegetable production just because of those those factors, I had I had a fellow call me um, up in Edmonton, and he's starting a relatively small uh, vegetable greenhouse, mm-hmm. and he is implementing some kind of solar technology. And I, I haven't I haven't uh, I don't have much more information at this point, but I, it kind of uh, piqued my interest because, um, yeah, like you said, there's as we progress with a lot of these renewable energy sources there's an opportunity for us to kind of offset those high energy costs by, by using, you know, so I grew up in Northern British Columbia, Prince George, very, very cold winters, but we get tons of sunlight, right? Tons of sunlight. So yeah, if you can harness that, um, to, to, uh, to heat or to, uh, power your lights, then yeah, why not? Yeah. Even if it's just a partial supply, I mean, Running off uh, total solar might be, you know, inefficient or might be difficult to pull off. But mm-hmm. um, so, I guess, what does a typical greenhouse look like? Do they use, you know, UV lights or just natural sunlight? Yeah. So historically, kind of old-fashioned style greenhouses will be made from plastic, so poly poly houses. Um, but really, greenhouses can vary so much in their uh, set up and design, um, and this is something I, you know, I didn't realize before I got into this industry. And you know, I mentioned these kind of automated uh, facilities. Um, now we see a lot of uh, warehouse style 
facilities. So that that's more common, I think, in cannabis where black and gray market growers had to kind of hide their crop so they would mm. keep it in indoors right. and they would grow under lights and, and control the climate, which, which is a benefit to growing indoors. Um, but yeah, I guess a traditional greenhouse is just a, you know, a structure, um, a traditional greenhouse would just be a, a structure with, you know, usually 20 feet high, uh, roof. So you have uh, standard poly and that transmits as much light as is possible. Mm-hmm. Glass is ideal, um, lasts longer. Besides that, there's just, there's tons of variability in, in, in the technologies that they can implement. So uh, I mentioned uh, they'll have rows. So the crops are kind of grown in um, usually in a gutter. It's called gutters, gutter system. So this is just a, a racking essentially for the for the plants to sit on that gets them up off the ground. Um, there's a crop wire that the plants will will be uh, stabilized by, you know, usually with some kind of twine or, or, or uh, string that provides support for these plants because they're they're kind of, in some ways, they're kind of like mutant plants. They've been bred for production and they put off right. so much fruit and vegetables um, that they really, they can't really support themselves. Um, so you kind of see that in, in, in poultry as well, right? Where these chickens are so big, they, they can't even support their own weight because they're just, they got all these hormones and they're just bred to be very heavy and grow really fast. Same concept with plants. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the general type of setup and, but yeah, it varies quite a bit nowadays. And what we were seeing in terms of, um, these new builds and these new greenhouse projects is, very high tech, very very uh, large greenhouses, um, glass with diffuse glass, so it 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 kind of it spreads out the light rays a bit, so that they're they're less uh, harsh. A lot of them now are, and actually, uh, Alberta is one of the leaders in lit crops. Um, yeah, even in, even compared to Leamington, where you have thousands of acres of of, of greenhouse production, um, Alberta actually has one of the leaders now especially as these new greenhouses come online um, in, in terms of lit production. So Wait, what's lit mean? Lit just means they have lights. So HPS oh. usually. Um, now, again, going back to the technology, uh, LED technology is right. becoming very big and, and there's a lot of benefits to that. They don't put off as much heat. So yeah, and, and that allows one of, the, one of the biggest benefits of growing a, a lit crop in a greenhouse is they can grow through the winter and pricing... So for a farmer, if you're growing cucumbers in December, you're going to get better money for them than you are going to get for them right. in August because in August you're competing with field farmers who are right. growing growing cucumbers outdoors for cheap, brings the pricing down. So using lights really enables growers to um, capitalize on that on that higher commodity pricing and grow all through the winter um, as well. So. Is there is there any kind of I guess competition between the broad acre farmers and a greenhouse grower? I mean, it seems like they'd be very different types of operations to the point where there could be some contention. Because I mean, at the end of the day, I'm assuming the broad acre farms still just by volume and size alone produce a lot more. Yes. And I'm sure down the road, or maybe when a, a centers get more urban you know, more greenhouses are going to pop up. I'm just kind of curious as to this whole relationship between the two. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question because, it, yeah, they are, 
like I mentioned in, in the summer months, they do compete um, because you know I think the average person might not be able to tell the difference between a greenhouse tomato and a field tomato. Yeah, um, that's changing. Um, I think people are 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 looking more for quality than they are for a low priced product. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't. It's hard to compete with with a, a field grower, a field farm because they can produce at such a lower price. Um, mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example of how that's changing. So I think as of last year, all of the tomatoes, or sorry, all the lettuce that you would get when you go to Wendy's would have been field lettuce. And that's, and that's, that's still probably the case with most fast food restaurants. Um, but as of last year, um, Whole Leaf, which is a, a, a high-tech lettuce facility down in uh, Coldale, close to Lethbridge, okay. they got a contract for all of the Wendy's restaurants in Canada. So, so and and a lot of that is marketing, right? So they are able to, and you know, next time you go go through the drive-through, you'll notice greenhouse-grown lettuce on the menu. So they might be paying a slightly higher price point for that lettuce than they would be if they were buying field so, lettuce. Just a quick question. So when you say it's greenhouse grown, it's some, like a point of pride or point of marketing, not yes. because they, they're they uh, forced to uh, um, write that down. It's it's because it's... it's, it's, it's yeah, it's totally it's a marketing thing. So, okay. so, so, and I think, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, people are, I think, more willing to pay a slightly higher price point for something that is definitely higher quality. And so... And that's that's that is a difference. There is you know having that protected environment, mm-hmm. w- which a greenhouse provides, you do produce a higher quality product. So there is a difference between a greenhouse grown tomato and a field tomato. They do taste better. Well, from a business point of view, I'm, I'm assuming that you know Wendy's would love to have um, their food grown in a greenhouse because it, it helps tighten, I guess, their lines of production. It, it's a little. I'm, I'm assuming. By growing things in a greenhouse, everything is a lot more uniform. consistent, uniform. Absolutely, exactly. no, that's a good point. It, it's that's very true, and so that's and and these restaurants, obviously, they are very particular about um, the 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 products that they, they they put into their their burgers and and their 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 menu uh, items, and yeah, it, it's uh. It's it's very interesting because when when you get down to it, the nitty gritty, you know, I'm sure in, in a the Wendy's uh, board uh, meetings, they're talking about well, this one has a bit more crunch, but this one has the right shape for the burger, and these all these like what we as consumers we don't really think about that, yeah. right? It's just it's a burger, or whatever. Yeah. But no, no, like they every single minute little detail they are factoring in, and then they're comparing that to um, the cost and the and the price that they can then sell that product for. So right. Uh, just before we move on, I really wanted to go back to your comment earlier about how the gray and black market cannabis sellers kind of drove maybe the, or they utilized, you know, UV technology and grew because they had to grow underground, um, sometimes quite literally. Um, I'm kind of curious in the way that, you know, war drives technology or pornography has like driven the, the technology world, mm-hmm. you know, forward as well. Was the cannabis industry at all kind of instrumental in pushing some of these new technologies out? Because they're forced to innovate when you're doing things, you know, under the radar. 
Yes and no. I'd say more no than yes, though. Which so cannabis is such an interesting thing, and we could, you know, I think we could devote a whole episode to the history of cannabis in Canada. I have a personal background in, in that industry, in the medical side, and I find the the just the progression of the industry and kind of the story of cannabis and kind of where we are now to be just fascinating and a little bit depressing, to be honest, just given where we ended up. Um, so. Yeah, we could talk about that. I'll, I'll try and be brief, but essentially, obviously, crop production and farming has been around for hundreds of years, right? So, mm-hmm. and throughout that period, cannabis has kind of existed on its own. It's as an outsider, and and it, it occupied a very different space. You know, Canada is a bit unique in that we've kind of been there's been more slightly more open and accepting of cannabis. But really, you know, these technologies have existed forever. And so the way I look at it and the way I think people who are experienced and knowledgeable in the industry look at it is understanding how to grow a crop is very, very complex. And and someone who knows how to grow a crop can learn how to grow a different segment or a different variety or a different type of plant. So what kind of happened with cannabis was when it came out of the the shadows I guess uh, of being a, a really frowned upon black market uh, type of industry mm-hmm. a lot of <laughs> you had all these kind of basement growers these these guys who they they thought they were experts uh, and they when they when when cannabis came became commercial and became legitimate mm-hmm. they they thought that they could kind of reinvent the wheel in a sense in terms of taking all these old cannabis trade secrets and old wives tales and really not scientific based i mean some of it is valid to to give them some credit and then and then kind of scaling up these basement grow type systems Hmm. and i found it as someone and i think i have a bit of unique vantage point here because that's i had that background Mm -hmm. and for me seeing uh once you know i I spent a couple years in the legitimate crop production space while the cannabis side of things was coming online and so for me it was very interesting and almost comical in some ways to see uh, these these cannabis growers uh think that they just knew best they knew how to do it better than anyone and and they built these and 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 to their credit um, no one had done it before. No one had grown cannabis in the world. No one right. had grown cannabis in a, in a legitimate commercial space before. So yeah. there was going to be a learning curve inevitably, but the ego and the, I guess, just the kind of stoner hippie mentality really didn't do them any good. <laughs> like it, it, So they, they, the, the systems that were built were kind of a laughingstock. Right. And a lot of these facilities now that have come and gone and failed because they were completely out to lunch in the way that they designed these facilities have not worked. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I was trying to make this brief, but I'm just lots to talk about. It. But, you know, a lot when, you know, a couple of years ago, it was very interesting because I had, there was kind of two breeds of, of cannabis growers. Then these companies, when they hired growers to, to run these cannabis facilities, mm-hmm. they would hire either the best of the cannabis world that hadn't ever grown commercial crops right. or the best of the commercial growers that had never grown cannabis crops. Mm. Okay. 
And in my mind, I was betting on the I was betting on the commercial growers, these guys who had grown flowers in right. a greenhouse. Okay, didn't know anything about cannabis, but they knew how to operate, uh, you know, a, a thirty acre facility and run a staff in that type of facility, and then just have to learn the new crop. Right. And I was correct uh, in the sense, and 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 again, there were a lot of these a lot of guys in the can- traditional cannabis world who were successful. They learned. In the same way I learned uh, the hard way, they had to figure it all out, and they did well um, because they had they adapted. I'm assuming they ad- yeah, they adapted, and they were progress. Yes, kind of- and the ones who were open to new ideas rather than no, this is how we're going to do it. This is how I've always done it. Yeah, they didn't do well. I'm almost wondering if it's part of the reason was because too, because it was previously a black market activity. There was less communications. You can't openly go to a convention that you would normally 100%. go to and share information, and you have to find some, you know, weird channels. Or- yes, and, and that was a frustration for me as a grower. You know, you go, you have to go on these blogs online. And it's a bunch of stoners who have they are not technical people, they're not science based people, telling you this and telling you that, and then you know you go into a hydroponic store and he talked to the owner of this hydroponic store and I'm speaking from personal experience here okay um, and they tell you oh do this because I know this guy who did it this way and then they'll tell you something that's completely contradictory and it's like well no that can't be true because I know the science does not validate that that idea right so it was just very uh, inconsistent information like you said and very frustrating for someone who was was trying to to figure out how to do it effectively to produce for for the patients I was growing for. So right. yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it was it's it, yeah, it's been a it's been a steep learning curve for the industry and and just I guess to fast forward to where we are today just to kind of summarize mm-hmm. it's really been disappointing to see what has happened to the cannabis industry in Canada because you know, a couple years ago when cannabis was first legalized as I'm sure most people know there was so much hype around the industry. There was all this excitement. There was so much investment. A lot of people made a lot of money in investing in these companies, the smart ones who got out mm-hmm. at, at the peak. Yeah. Um, and one example that I think really like encapsulates the general state of the cannabis industry today, and I'm sorry to call out this one particular company, but there's a greenhouse now in, in Medicine Hat, and this is all public knowledge, so... Um, $200 million invested in what is a beautiful facility. $200 million for a 40-acre greenhouse is way too much money. Mm. They sh- so it was, it was custom-built, special-design greenhouse built by Aurora Cannabis. That's uh, what I was going to ask of this company. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an Edmonton, or sorry, an Alberta-based uh, company that they built. They built this facility in Medicine Hat, and it's sitting empty right now. It's not even finished. And no one will buy Seriously. it. Seriously, no one will buy this facility because it costs more to retrofit this facility for any other type of crop than it would be for a grower just to build their own brand new greenhouse Jeez. of the similar uh, specs. So it, it, it's just it's kind of like a, like giant a tribute, waste. a tribute, yeah, to, to that giant waste and to what I believe could have been such a benefit to the Canadian economy. We were the first G7 country to legalize medical, or sorry, legalize uh, recreational cannabis. Right. And, you know, we could have been and should have been, in my opinion, uh, a world leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost like, you know, you want to stay 
with something that's you know a, a new innovation or a new uh, industry, you almost want to be a second or a third. You want to let the leader make their mistakes right. so you can learn from them, and right. then you know the tallest tree catches the most wind type type idea, right? right. And 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 that's the case. We've fallen behind now, and you, you know you watch. When the United States legalizes it, which I'm sure they will in the next five years, yeah. they have the infrastructure to, they've already, even without legalizing, they've already essentially surpassed us or are about to, I would say, in terms of GDP and, and, and just the, the potential they have with, with the infrastructure they Are have. You know, cannabis GDP or? Yes. Jeez. Because, you know, all these states, right, they, they've legalized uh, statewide right. or they've legalized, most of them now have legalized medicinally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of, yeah, a lot of these people, the talent now have left Canada because the industry was like, it, it's been a roller coaster. It was, it was going to be huge. Everyone was interested. Everyone was talking about cannabis, cannabis, cannabis. No one talks about cannabis anymore in Canada. I was going to say, so when you brought up Aurora, Aurora was such a buzzword a couple of years ago. Everyone was talking about stocks in Aurora, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's, you're right. It's completely disappointing to hear that you have this giant facility that's incomplete and yeah, it's not a buzzword anymore. So, well... Yeah, it's it's a shame, and, and you know, a large part of that is the blame goes on the industry. These companies they built too big, too fast. Yeah. But also a large part of the blame, in my opinion, goes to Health Canada and the federal government for overregulating. They created this industry, right? But then they they regulated it to death. Almost. I do know a few people in different parts, a lot of in retail, and I've heard of some of the. The difficulty, but like you mentioned, we probably should uh, should we probably should dedicate a separate episode to cannabis and um, and to to draw it back to I guess the point of our the podcast is Calgary and Alberta to to a lot of the extent cannabis was a form of diversification mm-hmm. for Alberta for Calgary and your industry and in a more positive note <laughs> your industry provides a lot of diversification for mm-hmm. Alberta. Please tell me more about how and what kind of projects we have going on with the agriculture, the technology in, in Alberta. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and cannabis still does represent some, some small portion of that in Calgary and the rest of Alberta and Canada. But one good example of, of Alberta embracing diversification through agriculture would be a project in Lacombe. Um, where an oil and gas company has become a major stakeholder in a vegetable greenhouse operation. And this business is called Doof's Greenhouses. They're yeah, traditionally a vegetable um, producing operation. They're currently expanding their operations, building 26 acres of high-tech pepper greenhouses in Lacombe area. And what is interesting about that is, so cogeneration is, is, is uh, an example of how uh, oil and gas, or essentially just using these hydrocarbon products to make greenhouse production more efficient. So what they do, cogens, they generate electricity, heat, and CO2. Hmm. Um, and and essentially that w- would be otherwise wasted. And they use that to help uh, heat the greenhouse and plants feed off CO2. So they feed that CO2 into the greenhouses. So it's really like a match made in heaven in that sense. But and so that's been around for a while, co-generators on greenhouse properties. But this is a bit of a unique case because this company is actually, I believe, part owner of the company. To what extent, I'm not sure. But they're, they're right. and Jason Kenny was out uh, on 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 site at Doof's, I think, last year, talking about how you know it really 
it really h highlights or it's a good example of that Alberta innovative spirit where I think everyone can acknowledge that oil and gas isn't what it used to be. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I came to Alberta and Calgary a little bit after that boom, kind right. of in the decline. But I find it so interesting to see these um, oil and gas companies now partnering in the greenhouse space and the crop production space to, uh, yeah, to, to just, it's just, it's just a win-win for everyone. Yeah. So I've heard of a few instances myself of similar, um, I guess, innovative partnerships or between industries. And uh, one of them was, you know, bit farming as well, Bitcoin farming. Yeah. Sorry, just to jump in. Um, yeah. it, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, apparently on that same site, there's going to be a Bitcoin mining company moving in and using some of that waste electricity as well. So yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it gets me excited about the future of Alberta. Um, so, so is that almost like a, a second life for these oil and gas productions? Could it be? Oil and gas is in, you know, everything we use. Petroleum products is in almost everything that we have. It's not as quite as simple as just powering our cars. Um, is this perhaps, I mean, I know we're just small little ponds in this whole infrastructure, but do you think maybe that could be something that we could really move towards even the uh, larger companies why not right yeah we have the te technology we have the land so you know as we were talking about before there's really uh, a demand for for local produce so these greenhouse expansion projects that, that i've mentioned um, they're responding to consumer demand their mm -hmm. retailers are asking for alberta produce right. a, a lot of these greenhouses and these marketing companies they distribute their product only in the prairies. That's not being exported to the United States, even into BC for the most part. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, the sky's the limit, in my opinion. And, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to be a part of the industry and, and to see it grow. Well, Simon, I mean, we could talk about this forever. I know we were kind of coming to an end here as far as time. Um, and thanks again for explaining all of this to me. I, I know this is not the most interesting topic to a lot of people, but as I've talk to you more and more about you know agriculture and the importance and like you've been discussing all the technology that really goes into it i find myself more and more drawn to it um and yeah so thanks for sharing your story as usual you know as you know we also like to ask the question to, to cap things off why do you believe in calgary kind of what i mentioned before you know i, I came to alberta with a very open mind and after four years i really feel to my core that I am so lucky to have found Calgary. Mm -hmm. And of course, being close to the mountains, personally not having been here through the boom of the oil and gas period and arriving kind of after the fact, I still have just been constantly struck by the beauty of the city and even more so the people of, of the city. And post energy boom or not, Calgary is just so vibrant, it's so exciting. The amount of green space, parks, regular festivals, the diversity of backgrounds and cultures here. It's just such a great place to live and I have so much hope for the future of Calgary. And I should also mention, it's the reason why I support Zane Novak for mayor. It's the reason why I'm doing this podcast because, you know, in my conversations with, with Zane on this podcast and elsewhere, I know he feels the same way about Calgary. And I know he will fight to keep the city vibrant and to maintain many of these things that I find to be so amazing about the city. Well, thanks again, Simon. It was a blast actually talking to you and interviewing you rather than having you co-host. <laughs>
check us out next week or in two weeks when we have uh, our next guest. Thanks again, Simon. Thanks, Gal. Thanks for the opportunity.